All right, welcome back to another episode of the Ricky Henderson of Podcasts, the greatest of all podcasts, the GOAP. I'm your host, Alex Espinoza, with my co-host, Dr. Hal, Dr. Hot Dog, Hal Gordon. That's right. <laughs> and, and, we got a, and we got a special guest, uh, Vince Catronio, the longtime radio man for the A's. So glad to have Vince on here for episode 59. Vince, how you doing, man? You all right? I'm doing great. I appreciate the invitation. Spring training. The weather's warmed up finally down here. I know it's been crazy in California, but this is spring training weather. Things are getting, uh, you know, to the point where you're starting to think about opening day. Cuts are being made. The roster is being pared down. Oh, yeah. uh, spring training is a little more manageable. So uh, let's see what happens. Yeah, I've been hearing you on the radio talking about the the cold weather. You're a, you're a warm weather guy. Huh? You 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 like it warm. I'm very <laughs> very thin blood. I was born in New York. I left when I was a ch- a kid. Grew up in Florida. Uh-huh. Only worked one year above the Mason Dixon line, and that was in Des Moines, Iowa, back in 1988. I did not like it at all. I moved there <laughs> in January of 1988, and people in Iowa, they live with it every day. I had no idea what these people were doing. So, uh, you know, for us in, in Phoenix, by our standards, I've lived down here. My wife and kids, we moved here from Dallas mm-hmm. in uh, 2008. And in that time, this by far has been the coldest winter we've had. By Arizona standards, probably 15 degrees below normal. So, uh, you know, it finally got back to what it's normally like for a longer stretch of, of time. Hopefully that'll continue to the end until we break camp on the 25th. Yeah. Since I grew up in Chicago, so, you know, I was I was used to all the warm weather, uh, you know, after being here for like eight, eight, eight years. Now, whenever it dips, you know, below below 55 degrees i'm just like oh oh it's so horrible <laughs> Why? So you, you lose that you lose that cold you lose that uh, resistance to the cold weather real fast no doubt well well so vince yeah i wanted to ask about like so growing up in florida where, where do you grow up in florida and there were no teams there so who was like your team like who were you listening to like who were your influences you know well that's a great question i grew up in orlando uh, my dad got transferred as a civilian working for the Navy from uh, Long Island, New York, down to Orlando. So I moved down there in the mid-60s. And I was a Yankee fan just growing up, just mm-hmm. because I, I was a part of a New York household. Mm-hmm. Uh, my dad was, a, you know, he I'm Jets and Rangers and Jet and, uh, and Yankees. <laughs> my dad was Giants and Rangers and didn't. And he was a Dodger fan, a Brooklyn Dodger fan, never forgave them for leaving. When he lived there, he watched Babe Ruth play when he was a kid. So it was coached all of his sons. I'm the youngest of four sons, coached them all in baseball. So the sport has always been very, very dear to us. And you're right. I didn't really, you know, I listen to some guys that do what we do and so fortunate to do it. And they say, you know, I grew up listening to uh-huh. Harry Carey or Jack Buck or, you know, to take your pick, Vince Scully, of course, uh, you know, mm-hmm. Bill King, John Miller. Uh, mm-hmm. I didn't have those influences uh, growing up. So I would, for us, the weekends were Atlanta Braves baseball before the Superstation. Yeah. And it was on an independent station out of St. Petersburg. So we would go to the beach on Sundays, and I'd come home. And it was WTOJ uh, TD44. And I'd see, you know, Buzz Capra and Dale Murphy and, you know, all those kinds of players back in the day, Rick Mailer, and watch those games. And Milo Hamilton was doing the games with Ernie Johnson. And as it turns out, my first Bickley job was alongside Milo Hamilton. So it was oh, that's so you know, cool. pretty, pretty surreal how all that kind of came together. So I didn't really have an influence. Uh, yeah. I knew I wanted to do it as a kid. 
Thurman Munson was my favorite player, and I knew very early I was not going to be Thurman Munson. Uh, <laughs> catcher, award number 15, the whole nine yards. Uh, first games we saw were the Yankees against the Royals. When we went back to New York for a, uh, a family a funeral, as it turned out, one of my grandparents had passed away. My dad took us to Shea Stadium because the Yankees Stadium was under renovation in 74 and 75. Yeah, so we saw the Royals play. Roy White had four hits in the game. I remember that. Uh, and it was just a big deal. I mean, that was, the, that was the first big league game I saw in person. Then we had spring training in Orlando with the Minnesota Twins. And I go out to a couple of those games and see that. And then mm-hmm. went to school at Central Florida when it was about as big as the room I'm sitting in. But they gave <laughs> us, you know, we had a college radio station that you couldn't hear outside of this room. But we had a collection of, of people, whether it was news or sports or or music entertainment we all took it so seriously we had a great time and i'm still close friends with many of those folks that were together back in the late 70s early 80s and that's where i got to learn play by play doing baseball and basketball and football and hockey or not hockey but uh, you know some wrestling some soccer some volleyball whatever it took we put it on the air and just made all of our mistakes cut our teeth got an internship at nbc in new york uh, out of that just simply on a whim, you know, with a phone call. I always tell students when I talk to them that are on the verge of making decisions about internships, say always, always start at the top. Let them tell you no and work your way down the list. And that's what I did. I was lucky that my first call was a yes. And I don't know why it happened, but it did. I was supposed <laughs> to be with Marv Albert. He was my idol growing up because when we went back for that, that funeral back in 74, uh, my cousin Vito, who still lives in the same apartment from 1974, uh, he's Red, one, year, one year older <laughs> than me, you know, in Brooklyn. And they would watch the Knicks on television, turn down the sound and turn on Marv Albert on yeah. radio when he was doing it back in the heyday uh-huh. when Marv was the voice of the Rangers and the Knicks on radio. And I was just enthralled with that, that, that they felt so strongly about an identification with this person. And they wanted this 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 person to deliver, you know, what they're about to watch. So that, that's kind of how it all got started. And I went to New York. It didn't work out with Marv because it was the summer of 81. It was the strike of 81 with the baseball strike. Mm-hmm. So uh, I went to the radio side, which turned out to be okay. I worked with a gentleman named Mark Mason, who uh, basically was part of the group that founded WFAN in New York, uh, not too far after that, and got some great experience, made some great contacts, got to go to the Olympics, because of that, uh, with some of those NBC people in Seoul, Korea in 1988, and just, you know, I was, I was very lucky from a guy that didn't know much, uh, didn't have that influence growing up that I could listen to and rely on to where I got, got a chance to get a jump on what's been a you know, very thankful and satisfying career so far. Well, well, how's a Chicago guy like uh, the Iowa Cubs? They're like a big deal over there, right? Like they're it's like a, it's like a fun franchise, right? And uh, I saw you were minor league broadcaster of the year over there. Was that kind of like a big year for you? '88, you said you went to the Olympics as well. Was that a kind of breakthrough for your career? Yeah, it just kind of came out of nowhere. Uh, uh, you know, one that it was the first ever they created this award. I went to the to the national baseball meetings in Atlanta. I accepted the award at a at one of the big luncheons that they had. Uh, and from that, I went to the Olympics. I was a finalist for a New York Mets job, which Gary Cohen got. And I knew Gary that year. He was in Pawtucket. I was in Iowa. Joe Buck was in Louisville. I was in Iowa. I don't know what ever happened to Joe. I don't know if he ever went on to do anything. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
I haven't well, heard from him Gary, since. Yeah, because Gary, Gary's already. <laughs> I heard he was working for his dad or something, but yeah, you know. <laughs> he was. You know, I, you know, Gary was already filling in for Bob Murphy on on that's radio. That's why I told him. He goes, "Man, you just got this award. You're going to the Olympics." I go, "Dude, unless you're axe murdering somebody between now and opening day, the job is yours." But it's a great experience to fly to New York to go through the interview process to actually try to attempt to do a game off of a television monitor. That was part of their process. Uh, it was just a very, very unique experience. And from there, I moved down to Tucson, spent two years in Tucson with the uh, Astros AAA club. That's where I met my wife, Veronica, mm-hmm. who's in Tucson as we speak, uh, with her sisters. Uh, we've been married 31 years now, three healthy, wonderful kids. So uh, it's it's worked out pretty well. Yeah, and uh, when do you remember the first time you met Ken? Because it was during that Tucson stint that I, I I was reading on your Wikipedia page. Is that right? You, is that where you met Ken? Because he was with Las Vegas. Is that right? I'm glad somebody's reading this page because I certainly hey. don't. But uh, yeah, because he was in Vegas and yeah, I was yeah. in Tucson, yeah. so we you know we certainly knew each other. You know, Rich Waltz was his partner back then as well, who does, who's actually doing something at WBC this year uh, on Fox. So yeah, that's where I first met Ken. And started started a little bit of that relationship, which I tell people all the time. You just don't know at what point in your life that that relationship is going to come back and lift you up and maybe give you an opportunity that you didn't necessarily see coming. And with the passing of Bill, you know, we had known each other at that point. Then after that 91, I went to the Astros. He began did some filling with the Orioles. Then he went, then he, you know, went on to do, you know, uh, Oakland. And I was still in Houston and then went on to Texas saw each other then saw him saw his daughter emily who's now 30 years old i saw her she's like three years old so <laughs> my wife denise so it, it was a it was a long you know it was a it was a long relationship a long friendship and i was out of baseball for two years and when bill passed away uh several folks from the a's had contacted me and said you're somebody we're really interested in and i told ken i said look i'm going to apply for the job i'm not asking for you to endorse me in any way shape or form it's a, tough position to be in for you because you're getting inundated from former partners and guys that you know, like myself in the business. I'm, I'm just letting you know that it's there. And through the process, uh, our familiarity, uh, his familiarity with my work ethic, and it just kind of all came together. And fortunately, you know, it's going to be my 18th year with Ken and couldn't be more thankful. It was, it's been a great partnership. I've learned a lot from Ken. You know, he's got the voice of God. That's not something I don't have, but I make the most of my situation and we we both had some great moments along the years. It's a little lean right now, but we've had some great memories together in that booth. And, you know, when I first got to Oakland, my first broadcast in spring training, because Bill had passed away in October, didn't get, you know, he didn't, never got a chance to say goodbye. Fans never got a chance to say goodbye to him. And I went on the air. I said, look, I'm not Bill King. I will never pretend to be Bill King. Uh, I'm going to be Vince. Hopefully over time, I know this is very difficult for you and, and there is a voice that's that's lacking in your life. And I've been asked to step in on a small basis and and fill in some of those blanks. Just please be patient. Uh, hopefully as you're going out to get a gallon of milk. You'll hear the score more than once. And as time goes on, you'll begin to uh, hopefully enjoy the stories, enjoy my play by play. Uh, just enjoy my personality or my togetherness with with Ken and we can hopefully build a, a partnership. And it took time, as it should, mm-hmm. because with, you know, with Bill, who's one of the greatest of all time, 
not only in baseball, but in so many sports. And you're, you know, you're the person that's, you know, stepping into that booth, not in his chair, but in the, in the, into his booth. Yeah. Uh, you just have to be, I mean, I was very respectful of, of what I was doing and uh, very thankful that it, I swore when I got in this business, no offense to California, but I, I couldn't live full time in California, especially with <laughs> a wife and three young kids at the time. I said I would never work for a California team. I worked for a California team longer than anybody else. And I'm so thankful that this opportunity has presented itself. So many thanks uh, to the East Bay, East Bay uh, fans, Oakland fans and, and the Oakland community. Uh, you know, I want to ask a question. You said, you know, you said that Ken knew knew what your work ethic was like. And, you know, for people who are not in broadcasting, for people who just, you know, turn the radio on or now turn the app on, uh, like I do when they're on the road, turn the app on when I'm like on a run and just listen to you guys, uh, you know, tell me about the game. Uh, you know, it seems like it seems like a job that you just sort of show up for. You say, you know, you call the game and you go home. But like what what more like you know, tell us what more does it take to, you know, to, to be able to do that? Well, the most important thing in the game is to follow the ball because you're listening to the game. You want to know what's happening on the field. That said, you have to be prepared for almost any type of, of circumstance. And even though the game starts at 640, yep. typically my day starts with preparation no later than eight o'clock in the morning. Now it's not all day, but there are there are books that I keep up that I keep on a daily basis. There are notes that I keep in another book uh, that I update you know periodically, and I update the league every day. And then you start reading stories and you jot notes down, and you have stuff ready to use if necessary. If it's a especially now at the pitch clock, who knows if we'll get a chance to get much of this in? But you know if it's if it's a you know two to one game or a three to one game, as Milo used to tell me all the time. These are the games we do for free. Uh, we have a game <laughs> like when, when when young broadcasters send me some of their work, uh, I always tell them, don't send me your highlights. I don't need your greatest hits. And listen to my home run call. Here's my double play call. Here's my play at the plate. I need in the fourth inning where you, you've lost seven in a row and you're down eight to one. How are you going to entertain me? How are you going to keep me listening? <laughs> and that's the challenge that you have. That's what you have to be prepared for. Uh, there's certainly with the analytic model now with so much involved and the opportunity for fans to have access almost as to as much information as I do. Yeah. I, but the one thing they don't have is access to the clubhouse. They don't have access to scouts. They don't have access to David Forst or other baseball executives that I've known over the years. I mean, Perry Manassian, who was the GM of the Angels, was a bad boy when I was with the Texas Rangers from 98 <laughs> to 03. And he comes in the booth and we're like old friends and people are looking around like, how, how do you get the GM to walk into your booth? Well, that relationship began when, you know, he was just a kid with the Manassian family, which includes Zach, who works for the Giants, Calvin, who works for the Nationals. You know, they're, they're, it's just it's intertwined. And so that that all that that helps. I mean, I, I'm trying to get information trying to get stories, and especially if you're listening and something happened last night that we don't have the answer to during that game, you're relying on me to ask Tony Kemp what happened on that play or talk to James Caprillion and say, tell me about that pitch sequence, help you get out Jordan Alvarez. Why did you decide to go the way you did? And that's that's something that they can't get on their computer at Fangraphs or Baseball Savant or 
you know, baseball prospectus. Take your pick. There's a thousand of them out there, all very good and all very helpful to me as well. So that's that's the one thing I have. I've always had a, a great relationship with scouts. I think it. I, I'm 62 years old. I've been at the game 40 years, including my time in the minor leagues. Oh. And I am still learning every day. And I, I don't in no way, shape or form do I know this game. Like, you know, frontwards or backwards. Uh, there's stuff that's happening out there that I that I ask questions about. And I'm thankful that these guys are able to use their eyes and their perspective and help me sound better on the air. Plus, when, we, when we've when we had Shooty on the air or we've had, when we've had Coco Crisp on the air or when I talk to ex-players that are doing the game, if I've done a couple of games with Dallas on television or whatever, so look, I never stood in the box. I've never been in the clubhouse, you know, during the quiet times. I've never been on the mound. Now, I can call the fly ball to center field and you can help tell me what the pitcher batter, whatever that situation, what that player might be thinking, you know, what, what is going through their mind? How are they going to handle that situation? And that's the respect I have. Plus it's a really hard game. Yeah. I mean, it's not, I know fans get mad. How come he couldn't hit that 97? <laughs> yeah. Like a snake going to the play. Why couldn't he hit it to the opposite field? They got the shift on. Why didn't he just hit it the other way? Why didn't he block <laughs> more? Well, yeah. it's, you know, like for an example, uh, Tyler Wade, who may or may not make the club. He's a non-roster yeah. body. Wherever Tyler Wade grew up, which was in Temecula, down in Southern California, at that time, Tyler Wade was the best player in Temecula. Okay? He was the best player. And then that funnel, you know, gets smaller and smaller as you move up through the ranks. So there's a bunch of Tyler Wades that were the best in their, in their place. And then how do you handle that? How do you rise above it? How do you become the player that breaks through and, and scratched out the kind of career that that Tyler's had, let alone if you're, a, you know, if you're a superstar like, a, you know, Jose Altuve or Alex Bregman or you know, oncoming superstar like Julio Rodriguez, you know, take your pick of different players. Uh, it's it's a really hard game and you have to be respectful of that. You have to be truthful. If you're making mistakes out there. do some things that don't make sense. You have to be truthful and they want you to be truthful mm-hmm. and they want you to they don't want you to sugarcoat it. But you don't have to go overboard on certain things uh, and try to try to do something to appease the fan base because you have to have to respect a of how hard the game is and respect that you're in the clubhouse the next day and you're there to if somebody has something to say to you you have to be there to answer. Well, I've noticed that you pretty much throughout BP you're just constantly talking to people, players, other broadcasters, visiting people. Like you're just constantly gathering information, right? Like is that that's part of the deal too, right? That's what we do. I mean, it's 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 just trying to sometimes you're going to get nuggets that you go, wow, I can't believe that this landed in my lap. It's a great story about this guy, because this happened five years ago when he was in a cab or whatever. And now he's at this spot. And it, it gives you an opportunity to tell that story and, and present that to the fans. Again, the, the access that we have is important, but we're all exchanging information. The broadcasters are very close fraternity. We're a very helpful fraternity among ourselves. Because we know how hard the, the job is. And, you know, we, we want to present the product as best we can. And that, that is part of it. But before the game, there'll be scouts that will come into the booth. And I'll fire questions at them all the time about players or situations. or saying, I'll go to the umpire's room. My, my first year, 2006, right. with Ken. Yeah. So I, I said, I'll, I'll be back in a little bit. I'm going to go down to the umpire's room. 
And we all know Bill King's relationship with umpires. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so Ken looks at me and goes, what do you mean? And I say, I'm going to ask Bill Miller about what happened on that play last night. I need a further explanation on why it was called the way it was. Yeah. Was it running or whatever? He goes, well, we don't do that here. I go, well, I've, been doing it for, I've been doing it for years. I mean, if you have a question, don't you want to ask that person the question? So going down to the umpire's room is, is just part of the process. It doesn't happen a lot. But it happens some, and the umpires are thankful. They're appreciative mm-hmm. that you're that you're down there. That you want to know what's happening. You, you want to ask them, you know, because they've got a hard job as well too, especially with every camera angle known to man and super slow motion and guys' fingernails off the you know off the base. And they got to call them out and ridiculous stuff like that. But it it just it just strengthens. Uh, I think it strengthens the broadcast and just makes it better because I can I can go down and do that. I mean, there are people that are in the game that were with like my first team in 1984, my first full-time team with the Lynchburg Mets that are still in the game. Mike Cubbage was my manager. He was a longtime scout for the Nationals and some other teams I had seen around the league. Dan Plezak was on it. MLB Network. We were together in 1985 when I was in El Paso. He's one of our pitchers. We're still good friends to this day. And then like I mentioned, Perry Manassi and Scott Service, who's the manager of the Mariners. So we were together first at the Olympics in 88. Got drafted by the Astros. I had him in Tucson. I was in the big leagues when I got called up at the All-Star break of 1991. Our wives are best friends. Uh, Scott and Jill are godparents to one of my kids. So uh, that relationship is one that I lean on as well. So it's well, I'm just very thankful. There are a lot of people in the game that that I've seen and, and thankful to call friends and, and thankful that they're willing to, 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 to help give us some information. Yeah, and, and you mentioned the uh, fraternity. I, I always thought like the A's radio fraternity is pretty amazing, like over the decades. You know, Monty Moore, Lon Simmons, Bill King, Ray Fossey, um, you know, Ken Korak and you. I mean, what's a what's it like to be part of that group? Um, just you know, so many great so many greats over you know generations. You know? Well, it's humbling, obviously. Yeah. Uh I love Monty to death. I wish I saw more of him. I wish I could see more of him at the, at the ballpark still has tremendous energy and tremendous love for the Astros and or for the A's right. and all the, you know, all the people that you mentioned along the way, it, it is, right. you know, it is a booth that, you know, that has uh, a lot of history and, and thankful because listening to games uh, from the A's perspective, much like the clubhouse, it's different. You're not going to hear this kind of broadcast in Chicago or St. Louis or Atlanta uh, or even Baltimore, it, it's a it's a unique vibe that we're able to to use from the clubhouse and use from just from the history that's inside that booth and and bring that out. I, I think fans appreciate that. Fans appreciate that we don't root. They know that I work for the A's. I don't root. I don't root on the air. They'll tell by my voice if the A's are winning or losing, and I think that's good enough. I'll certainly provide the excitement when those opportunities present itself, like Hamilton drops the ball or. You know, yeah. things of that nature. Brandon Moss, Grand Slam, walk-off capital of baseball, that kind of stuff. I mean, that's there, and it's genuine. But when when the A's make a bad play or when the opposing team makes good plays, you acknowledge that. You tip your cap to that because that's, that's part of recognizing uh, just good, clean baseball. Yeah, for sure. And, and uh, what's it – I mean, it must be kind of surreal for you to, to see. Uh, I mean, a couple of years ago, I had Dom on here. I think it was episode 17. I had him on the podcast. And uh, I mean, yeah, he's doing radio stuff with the Brewers right now. Is that, is that right? And uh, Correct. 
I mean, how cool. I mean, you guys were calling games together a couple springs ago. That must have been amazing. I mean, what's it like, uh, you know, seeing him kind of go, you know, following your footsteps like that and get into the field like that? Well, I mean, you're going to get me to cry, but you, know, you put on your father, you know, your dad cap. Yeah. And you always Good. want Good. we want we want that content for YouTube. So go ahead. <laughs> both both eyes. Both. As a father, you want your kids to exceed yeah. your own dreams. And my dad fought in World War II, didn't even graduate high school. He was, you know, he was in Germany and Italy and Luxembourg as a 19, 20 year old. And seeing all four of his kids, all four of his boys go to college and uh, go on to things. Uh, I, I know it was very humbling to him and my mom. And we I mean, we feel the same way. Veronica and I feel the same way. We want nothing but the best for our kids. We want them to you know, surpass you know, the life we've been able to give them to this point. Dominic's an incredibly talented kid. I mean, he, he he's a kid. Alex, you, you can speak to this. I mean, the stuff that you guys know now with – uh, Shout out to Cronkite. Uh, but the stuff that he can do with, with video and with, with building podcasts and – you know, statistical research and just having a love for the game. When we when we've done those games in spring training, it was it was a joy. It was a great joy. I mean, how could it not be to sit along your side, your son, and, and do some baseball games? It was a dream. We all always had. I mean, Dominic was on a baseball field when he was five years old. Yeah. You know, when we were in Texas, when they let the kids on the field prior to batting practice to track to take ground balls, he was taking ground balls with Patrick Mahomes. He was taking ground balls what? with Derek Rodriguez. He was taking, <laughs> taking ground balls with, you know, Preston and Patrick Palmero. I mean, these are kids that were part, you know, part of the team back in, you know, 02 when, you know, Dominic was uh, eight years old. He's out shagging in 2003 out in center field during, during batting practice. They finally let him go out there. Like his last game, he finally caught a ball out in center field. And Francisco Cordero's looking up to the booth. He's trying to get my attention. Hey, your son caught one. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he, he's been around it forever. He's very comfortable around it. Mm-hmm. He's really good at what he does. He's really talented. Uh, I'm hopeful that he gets a play-by-play opportunity. He's come close a couple of times at the major league level. In the meantime, he's excelled at everything they put in front of him. He does uh, pre and post stuff for the Brewers. He does their weekly show during spring training. He does some podcasts for them. Uh, he works for Brian Anderson on television, on the Valley games for research. He goes with Brian during the season for TBS for their game of the week. He does a playoffs. He worked with Bob Costas the last two years. That's Bob amazing. was very, That's very great. impressed with his work. So it, I, the kid, the kid goes in everything he does uh, with the idea to, to be the very best he can be. And he's still a really good golfer. So <laughs> he, he still loves the game. He just, he goes, I'm a nerd. I mean, he loves, he, he loves the golfing part of it. He loves the baseball part of it. He loves being around it. He's very comfortable in a clubhouse and hopefully like I was explaining before with me and Ken, there's going to be somebody that's been in his life that we don't even know yet. That's going to be influential in him getting that opportunity. And when he does, he'll, he'll run with it and he'll, he'll, he'll gather a lot of steam and, and he'll be recognized in a, in a really short period of time. Yeah, absolutely. So I appreciate, I appreciate you, you know, asking a, a dad about a son. Now I got two daughters as well, by the way, just, I got to be clear. I'm a girl. Man. <laughs> My daughters are doing great. My oldest Olivia's married. Uh, her husband Troy, they're doing great. And my youngest Sophia is here at home, and she's a, a budding uh, anime artist. And she's really good at that too. So I'm trying to get her together with uh, Shintaro Fujinami at some point because oh, they both like would... Studio Ghibli. My hey, daughter's oh, actually man. been to the Studio Ghibli Museum in Japan. She went with me on the Japan trip, uh, the last one the A's were on in uh, 18 or 19. 
So I would love for them just to meet you. She's actually taking some Japanese courses. Uh, it's fun just for them to converse for 30 seconds. Just That'd be for great. Them to meet That'd be amazing. I, those, those films are amazing. I really like those. The Studio yeah. Ghibli stuff is pretty wild. Yeah, yeah awesome. There's some great stories that are told in those in those films for sure. Well, that, I mean, spring training must be great for you. Your whole family's there, right? I mean, you're just it, at home, like, and everybody's around. That must be a great part of the year for you then. Right? It is. I mean, Dom's home makes mom happy. That's the most important thing, <laughs> you know, because uh, Dom's the only one that, that doesn't live in, in the state anymore. lives in Milwaukee. But mm-hmm. you got a chance to come down here full time for spring training. Obviously, has a place to stay. He's got cars here that he can use. We kind of all juggle each other's day to make sure somebody has a car, you know, to, to go where they need to go, or I'm going to spring training. And, uh, Sophia's going to work and Veronica's got to go do something and you know Dominic's got to go as well so we've, we've, we've made it work it's been yeah. fun uh, very thankful for sure that's awesome so, uh, so speaking about spring training there we got we had some cuts today we did uh, let, yeah let's talk let's talk a little bit more about the roster so uh, you know unfortunately sadly my 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 spring training crush, uh, Lawrence Butler, got sent down. But I think I think we kind of all knew that that was going to. Yeah, happen. <laughs> that was coming. I, I don't think he left on a bad note either. I mean, we know who Lawrence Butler is now for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and sure, he's yeah. definitely on the fast track. And that's that's the fun part of spring training. Yeah, is to see a young player who is a legitimate prospect. Okay, and let's yeah. let's be clear about that. And you know, everybody talks about you know how barren maybe the A's system is. Well. We've seen him. We've seen Denzel Clark, who's now with Team Canada, Jordan yep. Diaz with Team Columbia. We've seen those guys make, you know, make impacts. But, you know, Lawrence will be paid attention to a double A. He may be on the fast track. Who knows? Uh, Zach Geloff, of course, with Team Israel as well. So, to me, seeing J.J. Bladé sent down, you know, this kid was the fourth overall pick by the Marlins not too long ago out of Vanderbilt. Yeah. And, you know, that's the thing. You, you take a flyer on somebody like that. You know, A.J. Puck was the sixth overall pick when the A's got him out of Florida and those organizations look at that and say, well, we can do something with them. Now, AJ began to establish himself as a, as a good late reliever last year. Yeah. Uh, JJ hasn't done that yet. And the, the outfield competition uh, has been interesting to see unfold. I will say this, we all know the 2022 spring training was unlike anything any of us had experience with. All these, you know, first it was Chris Bassett, and then it was Matt Olson, then it was Matt Chapman, then it was Shaman, all leaving in you know a span of like ten days, and all these hugs in the clubhouse, and a lot of tears in the clubhouse, and all these new players. I don't even think the trade had taken place yet for Shane Langleyers. I don't even think he's been in the organization a year as we speak. I mean, that's how that's how recent yeah. all stuff happened. Yeah. So you know, trying to see these guys come in on the fly, trying to get into the organization, they had tough years. Uh, in the organization, but I think this year will be a, a much more settling year, and hopefully we'll see some progress at a lot of those young players. But for me, I mean, seeing J.J. Bladé sent down is something that kind of, I wouldn't say surprising, but because there's competition out there, somebody mm-hmm. has to go, and he has options, and we know Christian Pache does it, and Pache had two yep. more hits today, including a triple against the Giants. So uh, he's been mm-hmm. he's been fun to watch. He, he, knows what he's, he knows what's at stake. And yeah, he's yeah. a talented kid. He's the best defender by far. He's better than Ruiz in center field. But they love Ruiz, so they acquired him that three-team deal. And we'll we'll see how that plays out. Yeah, Ruiz, took- Ruiz had a really great catch today, too. And uh, I th- He I saw did, that- but he kind of took like a circuitous route. To the <laughs> and ended up with the dive. But he's got great tools. Yeah, He hasn't played center field a whole lot. Now, center field is like in the back pocket for Pache. He's already made three unbelievable yeah, Pache's plays. Pache's amazing. Yeah, during spring amazing. training. Yeah. So. 
Yeah, and um, what do you do? You, do you like Ryan Notice chances to make the squad? I mean, um, he keeps on he keeps on producing. I think he had a double either today today or yesterday. I can't. I think it was today. He had another double, and uh, you know he's a Rule Five guy. He started out hot, and he's he's keeping it up. And they optioned Dermis Garcia today, and you know, like you said, Blade. So those two more guys who were fighting for spots. Right. I yeah. I think Noda does have an excellent chance. I mean, th- look, yeah. this is a team that lost 102 games last year. You can take a Rule Five yeah. guy. And let's be honest. And and Noda's a you know little more experienced, a little older. He's shown power in the Dodgers system. He's a better defender than Jesus Aguilar. You know, Jesus has been by by far. Jesus has been the best guy to talk to in camp. Oh, is, he, the, is he a fun guy? Yeah. Accepts yeah. the leadership role. I mean, he, I'm hoping that there's going to be some semblance of the All Star Aguilar that plays for the A's because that'll really be fun to watch. And it'll be. You know, yeah. a great get for the athletics. He he can do a whole lot of things inside that clubhouse. Noda, I think, is going to get a chance, especially because he bats left-handed. So and with Jesus batting right-handed, so you're going to see those platoons. To me, the the the, the uh, wild card is Seth Brown. Really? Seth hasn't put, hasn't played a whole lot successfully against left-handed pitching. That's something he he wants to be more of a regular player, more of an everyday player. I see him in left field right now. He played a lot of first base last year. I don't think you need him at first base, but if Noda doesn't make the club, then then you're doing that. Uh, you know, if you've got if you've got Brown in left, you've got Pache or Ruiz in center, Loriano in right. That would be against uh, that would be against the right-handed pitcher, and then against the left-handed pitcher, you would go. You know, then then you've got uh, Pache, Ruiz, Loriano probably in the outfield yeah. uh, against the left-hander and see see where that takes you how so you you know you you have that uh, you have that access to the clubhouse i'm wondering how do you think uh uh mr fuji is uh is fitting in you know i i you know i see him on the tiny mic interviews and uh he's surprisingly he's got a lot of english words uh but i know it can be just really tough for for players who uh you know japanese is such a different language just showing up and you know it's not like the um the Latino players who have a bunch of other people that they can, you know, can talk right. to. And hang out. Yeah. I, I will say this. My, my impression is that when we get to opening day and people look at the American league West, certainly the Astros are the class of the division. I get that. Jacob, the and all the money that the Rangers spent, you know, Mariners getting to the postseason for the first time since 2001. And will the angels keep Shohei Otani and will they get to the playoffs? Well, that's going to happen for me. Shohei Otani is the big story because they're going to be talking about every day. And right behind him is Fujinami. And those guys have been tied together since 2012. Yeah, uh, He has been fun to see interact in the clubhouse. He wants to be one of the guys, you know, through Issei, his interpreter, who also, by the way, is a strength coach. So not your normal interpreter who, you know, knows the language on, on, on both sides of the Pacific Ocean. But this guy has a little more, you know, in his game than just that. So I'm sure he's been involved in, in part of Fuji's team and the things that he does. Nice. Ready for, for a game. So here, here's what I think about Fuji. This is a guy that I think if you, if you could drill down and really ask him, he feels like he should have been here years ago in the United States. He wanted to be posted years ago. He wanted to be on the Otani track. And when that didn't happen, I think you can make the case that he went, you know, that it got in his head and you could see those numbers go sideways. He had trouble with control, couldn't, find the strike zone, spend some time back and forth, Japanese uh, big leagues, and then down Japanese minor leagues, back and forth, including last year. 
But I think last year he finally turned the corner at the end. I, I think this is where – I think he wants this moment. I think he wants this opportunity to shine. He's got the stuff. Uh, certainly control has been an issue in the past. But when you throw 99 and he's got this devastating split-finger fastball to go with the slider and the curveball, I think he will be so much fun to watch. If you can get 140 to 150 innings from Fujinami, for me, that is uh, that is major success and major value. Plus, remember, in order to get him to come to the United States, this he's not under control with the A's. This right. is it. It's yep. a one-year deal. So mm-hmm. he he's the guy that's going to be gathering a lot of attention. He's pitching for himself. He's pitching for a bigger contract in the mm-hmm. big leagues, using oh, yeah. the A's as a possible springboard. The A's are, sort, are certainly a team that would say, look, if you're playing, if you're pitching well, hey, don't forget us. We're the ones that brought you here. So let's let's figure out a way to keep you, even if it means on a on a shorter deal, at least at first, with, with you know a bump up in your salary from past three million dollars. That would be interesting to see. But I, I really do believe that Fujinami thinks that his time is overdue. He's yeah. ready to accept the challenge. And I think it's gonna be a lot of fun to watch. Well, it's interesting that you say that, you know, the A's might try and uh, bump up a salary or try and try and uh, you know, s- sign him again. Uh, I kind of figured, oh, well, if if this guy's any good and the A's are as as bad as we think that they, you know, they might be, then, you know, this is this is sort of a win win for the A's where, oh, you know, well, we, you know, we at least spent some money for, uh, you know, so they don't complain as much about the revenue sharing. Uh, and uh, and maybe we can trade him <laughs> at the trade deadline if he's any good. But yeah. but yeah, I mean. That'd be really cool. Uh, and uh, he seems, he seems like, he seems like a really personable guy. I really hope we get to, uh, I, I really hope we get to hear more, more from him. Well, it's a fair point. I mean, there's no question that if he's pitching well, that there's going to be conversations about him around the trade deadline and how he's handled that remains to be seen. Uh, and I'm hopeful that he pitches the opening weekend against the angels. Yeah. Um, I think it's pretty, that'd be fun. Pretty much a done deal that you're going to see, uh, Paul Blackboard at opening night against Shohei on yeah. Thursday, off on Friday. Then you got the Saturday and the Sunday. I'm hopeful that he's in one of those games in the rotation. I mean, how could he not be? You're trying to create buzz. You're trying to create excitement as best you can. And that's one way to do it. And maybe, and maybe you know, from, you know, from, from my perspective of the person in the, in the seats with the fans, you know, those Shohei days are something special. And I'm really hoping yeah, I think it'd be really great too if uh, if you know if the Japanese fans are in town for for Shohei's opening day, you know if they stick around for Fuji, uh, you know I've said this before on our on our on our uh, on this season of this podcast, the the Japanese fans are first of all they're just a delight to interact with. Uh, and the important question is, do they buy hot dogs? <laughs> so so they do buy hot dogs. I will say. I will say, Japanese fans, if you're listening, I feel like the tipping uh, custom in Japan is less strong. Than <laughs> the truth comes out. <laughs> How do you design a, a hot dog, an American hot dog for a Japanese fan? Do you, do, do you have anything special that you can give them that gives them a little bit of a Japanese flavor? Oh, I think, you know, I think they really love, you know, I think in Japan they really like pickled stuff. So that sauerkraut. 
That sauerkraut is always a big Get some with seaweed them. wrap. Wrap that thing in seaweed. You know, that's, <laughs> that's why, you know what, honestly, that's why I'm not getting, that's why I'm not getting the tips. I need, I need to, I need to have like shrimp chips to put on top of it. Well, Vince, do you think it's possible they go to, I mean, Kotze has talked about a, a, the possibility of a six man rotation or something like kind of like, you know, a normal five days, but then Fuji every Tuesday or something like that. You know, like a once so. week Fuji, something like, do you think that's a possibility? Yeah. I think it's a real possibility and they'll, they'll try to figure it out. It's almost like a hybrid or five and a half man or six man. Yeah. yeah. They'll, they'll take advantage of the off days. Guys will get extra time off and have to have to adjust to that kind of schedule. We, we know pitchers are very much creatures of habit. You know, they've got certain throw days, certain rest days, certain lift days to, to get them strong for their next start. I think they're all on board with that. And it, it will be an adjustment. It will not be a straight up five man rotation with uh, with Fuji in there. It'll it'll take some balance. It'll take some work. It'll take you know some time where he's going to be between starts, and mm-hmm. and that's why I think if you can get to 140 or 150 innings, I would be really happy with that in this first major league season. All right. Yeah. So uh, I want to I want to ask you. I want to bring you in on something that Alex and I have done. So we. Alex and I, I think on our first episode, we each, we went through, this was before spring training even started. We picked nine players, each of the A's, and we're going to see at the end of the season, which team has the most war. And so I think, I think you. <laughs> How, you how's the, how's the stat guy? He's going to be, he's going to be. Uh, now, well, yeah. No, so now you, you know a lot more than us. So I'm going to, I'm going to give you the two teams and I want to, I want to hear who you, who you would have picked. You know whose who's team you you like better? Okay, so team one is uh, Ramon, Paul Blackbird, uh, Amadi Diaz, Caprellian, Ken Waldachuk, Jace Peterson, Drew Shinsky, Domingo Acevedo, and Danny Jimenez. All right, okay. and then and then group team two is Seth Brown, Tony Kemp, Shane Langoliers, Fuji, Jesus Aguilar. Uh, Pache, Trevor May, Zach Jackson, and Nick Allen. I think it's the first one. Yeah, oh. let's go. <laughs> I mean, you're asking me right off the cuff to pick one. Yeah, I, I still think you know. I still think Pache will struggle. Oh Nick yeah. Nick Allen has a ways to go offensively. Oh yeah. Ledmus Diaz is going to be pretty pretty important piece to this ace team yeah when he's healthy he's a great great yeah yeah or plays second base and even some third base i think that's an important piece for the a's so tony camp is tony camp i mean i love him and of course having fuji and seth brown leading the club at home runs last year it's not a bad way to go if you got langoliers too in that second team i mean he's got a chance to lead the team (laughs) in hitting he's got a chance to hit i think he's got a chance at 20 plus and maybe drive in 80 so that says an awful lot for a kid really in his first full season in the big leagues, he he can he can hit. I mean, he can catch. I mean, he he's the real deal. He, he, the A's really hit on getting him from Adels. So yeah, yeah. yeah. I think another two names that are still uh, in big league camp that are intriguing to me are Asturi Ruiz and uh, and Kevin Smith. You know, I, he, I I feel like Kevin, if he wasn't doing that well, he would have been probably cut down. But he he's kind of keeping himself in right now. And uh, you know, I know Jace Peterson. They signed him. He's here for the next couple of years. That might complicate things, but. Uh, what do you think about those two guys? I know they both have options, but uh, what do you think? Do you think they're going to be kind of those bubble guys at the end of the at the end of well, camp? Well, Ruiz will break camp with the club. I mean, he'll he'll yeah. come north for the Giants series. Whether or not he mm-hmm. makes the club, we'll we'll know certainly at that point. Kevin Smith is a real intriguing story because it was a 
it was a frustrating year. And I, yeah. I go back to a guy that was a Toronto Blue Jay, you know, in Dunedin, and suddenly he's flipped. He's with the new organization trying to learn everybody. It was a it was a condensed spring training. Everything was happening so fast. And he got off to such a slow start offensively, except for the series in Toronto. Still catch the ball. He's a decent defender. And then he goes down to, to Las Vegas and the same thing. I mean, he was struggling mightily until he got to, you know, late August, the end of September, where he hit 11 home runs yeah. in September. And as Mark Kotze said, it, yeah, we could have ca called him up for September, but maybe it was better off to keep him down there. He says he's in the best frame of mind in any camp he's ever been in. Uh, the jury's still out. They, they think he's made some adjustments to a swing path, which can help him make better contact. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see. I mean, Kevin yeah. Smith may, may last a little bit longer, but you've got Diaz and you've got Jace Peterson. And even in a pinch, you've got Tony Kemp at third base. So, I mean, Kevin Smith has a chance to make the club as a, if he does, it's as a utility guy because he could play second, short, and third. And you've got right-handed power there, but that's what Diaz is. So, uh, we'll see. He's a kid you root for. I yeah. mean, he was MVP at AAA with his Buffalo team two years ago. There's some there's some success in there. You're trying to get it to translate to the big leagues is always the sixty four thousand dollar question. For sure, and um, and, and yeah, just a couple more. Um, like the past couple of days, the pitching's been really strong. I think Allar had seven strikeouts yesterday. JP Sears had six today. Caprillion had five today. Um, that's still, I mean, I know Adrian Martinez was just optioned, so he's kind of out of the mix now, but there's still about nine guys. I would, I'd probably still consider Freddie Tarnock. Is he still in the mix? Like what, how do you, how do you see the, uh, the rotation competition kind of shaking out right now? Well, that, that's the great thing. There's, there's some legitimate competition. I mean, JP threw the ball much better today with five innings. Yeah. I would, I would I'm certainly, um, when you look at Adam Aller's line, you, it, it does, it's successful. Yeah. I get that. Yeah. He's always had confidence issues. He's always had great stuff. He faced, you know, a lineup where basically there was nobody in it. I mean, let's yeah. just got to be honest. I mean, he faced a bunch of, you know, minor league guys, and he did what he was supposed to do. Uh -huh. Now, if he faces a, you know, a different lineup with, with, and that will, he'll have that opportunity. He'll face a lineup later on, whatever the team is, where there'll be more of a major league lineup where six or seven regulars will be playing. How he performs in that game will be, a, for me, a better indicator of where he is i like his stuff I, I i like his chances uh but let's i would i would tempt for that i mean caprillion getting into a game today and going in yeah. two thirds is huge I, I think james caprillion two years ago would be really worried about where he is i don't think he's worried where he is if you think he's behind right uh, i think the ace can push him to the back of the rotation give him even a little more time to get ready for the season you know maybe pitch at the end of of uh maybe pitch in the giant series and give him even more time off, which will allow him to, to, to be ready for his spot in the rotation. Uh, Sears, Walter, you know, don't forget Kyle Muller, who came, a yeah. big lefty who came over from Atlanta. He's got good stuff. Hasn't really consistently uh, commanded his breaking ball. Uh, I, I like Tarnock. He's, he's a laid-back dude. Uh, comes at you at 95 with a good changeup and a good breaking ball. Martinez is still in the mix, as, you know, as – and mm -hmm. as Morkatze said, we had to option him out because of the WBC. He needs to get innings back in the minor league camp. Oh, now, okay. He may be on the outside looking in. Uh, I think that's the way it, that's the way it looks right now. But if you're asking me, it's Blackburn, Fuji, Cap, Rosinski, and then you're fighting between Sears, Waldachuk, Muller, mm -hmm. and Aller. And I think at least one of those guys will be, if not in the starting rotation, they'll be a swing guy. 
that'll be asked to give multiple innings and again to back up somebody whoever whether it's Fuji or or somebody else at the beginning of the season so uh it while this is a team that only won 60 games last year and there are prognosticators that are saying even less than that this year I would disagree with that if the tumblers <laughs> all kind of click together I mean I see this team closer to 70 wins again yeah have to stay healthy Fuji has to be doing what he's doing Paul Blackburn has to come back Aguilar has to come back to what he done in the, in the past, you know, things like that have to maintain itself over the long season. Ramon Laureano has got to come back. McAllen's got to improve offensively. There are a lot of ifs in that, in that statement to get to 70 wins, but last year they were so overmatched. Now they battled to the yeah. 27th out every single night. I give them credit for that, oh, man. but there wasn't a whole lot of firepower there and they've got more, more chances now to be more competitive night in and night out. And they've got more balance on their club that, Mark, because we know the A's like to mix and match. They've got a good right-handed hitting, right-hand pitching lineup, and a good left-hand pitching lineup. And we'll we'll see how it goes. You know, I mean, look, you never know. We'll, With, we'll see you know, I, I at the very least, just because of regression to the mean, I I'm willing to state that they will have a better batting average this season <laughs> than they did last season. Well, you saw uh, there was a statistic that came out. You know, the, the league batting average was you know, the league batting average was two four. How many teams had two forty last year? The number was zero. You know, it was like it, like eight yeah. years ago. It was like eleven teams had at least two forty. Yeah. That number has come down, and hoping with with the shift change and with the pitch clock, where where pitchers can't just take those extra few seconds to take deep breaths and reload to throw as hard as they can, that might be a, a factor that plays in favor of the offense. So hopefully, it'll be. A quick-moving, exciting game. They have guys that can run, certainly starting with Ruiz if he makes the team. Uh, I think they've got a chance to do some things that they didn't have the opportunity to do before. Yeah, I think it'll be more entertaining. I mean, I know a lot of those new Oakland guys, there's probably still a year off or so, but you know, by the end of this year, a lot of those guys can be there. Oh, it looks like we lost Hal. I don't know what happened to Hal, but <laughs> I was going to ask, I mean, uh, <laughs> do you ever hear Hal when you're up there? Bro- I mean, you got to be hearing Hal when you're up there broadcasting, right? You I see know- him. I know where he's at. I yeah, see you doing work all the time for sure. Yeah, because you guys don't have any windows there, so you guys had a direct line to Hal. But um, <laughs> all right, well, well, thank you so much, Vince. Really, really appreciate it, man. That was great. Good luck this season, and uh, I'll be seeing you at the ballpark in a few weeks here, man. So sounds yeah. great, Alex. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it to you, and thanks to Hal. I'll see you guys. All right, soon. I will. All right, thanks, Vince. Take care, man. See you. Adios.